Welcome to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, an organization that exists to connect the Christian faith with the realities of everyday life. As always and ever, I'm Scott Jones, your co-host. In just a moment, I'll be joined by Jacob Smith, the rector at Calvary St. George's Episcopal Church in New York City. He and I will be your guide every Tuesday to a grace-infused, cosmopolitan look at the lectionary passages for the week. We'll do our best to help both pastors and churchgoers alike to connect the never-changing truth of God's grace as found in these texts with what feels like an ever-changing and sometimes confusing world. And we'll do that all in 25 minutes or less. Back yet again for another episode, the first of 2017. Same old song. Here we are. Jake, my friend, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I've heard um, I've heard that you have a cold, and so I was wondering if you might need a visit from Paula White. <laughs> who's Paula White? Paula White's the the health and wealth preacher who's going to be praying at uh, Donald Trump's inauguration. Oh, she is. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know. Oh well, I'll take anything you can get. <laughs> I've so, been relying on, you know, like uh, Nyquil and things of that nature. So I think it's I'm kicking it though. I thought that was a really funny intro. So anyway, but... Uh, um, Paula White. Paula, if you're out there, pray for me. I've been thinking about it all during lunch. So anyway, but here we are, the first Sunday um, after uh, the Epiphany, the first Sunday of Epiphany, and uh, we're in a new liturgical season. And uh, the season of Epiphany, what you'll notice is is that um, it's really all about kind of this Epiphany, the idea of God as Savior and uh, the salvation of the world. Uh, coming through this one new Israelite, Jesus Christ the Righteous. And so all of the readings, especially the gospel readings, will revolve around this epiphany of the gospel and Jesus is Lord. And so uh, we kick off with our Old Testament reading, Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. This is one of the four servant songs, which are poems about God's special agent who will fulfill his purpose for the faithful community. And he's innocent, but despite his innocence, he will suffer vicariously for his people. And Christians have traditionally seen this as a prediction of the coming of Jesus, which is why it's being read on this Baptism of the Lord Sunday. Absolutely. Um, I really really love this passage. I mean, this is kind of the idea, you know, right out of the stump of Jesse, this, this stump that has been knocked down. God is going to bring forth a shoot, and uh, this shoot is one faithful Israelite for all of Israel, and not only simply for all of Israel, but one faithful Israelite for the whole world in whom the Lord delights. Absolutely. And it's kind of, you know, it's interesting, right? On some level, I guess you could say that it almost seems ironic, given the context, right? That mm. that. Israel is on hard times. And so, yeah, there are some pretty bold promises here about what the servant will do. He'll be a covenant for the people. He'll be a light for the Gentiles. He'll open the eyes that are blind. He'll free the captives from prison, release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This is like a pretty bold agenda for a, a God whose people are sitting in hard times. And it's yeah. almost as if in the midst of the hard times, God sort of doubles down on his promises and say, and, and then there's an insistence that that he's the God not just of Israel, of, of one Semitic people 
in the corner of the Near Eastern world, but he's there are no other divine realities and no other God but the God of Israel. That's right, and and you really see that happening throughout uh, the uh, the gospel according to Isaiah, is that you see God not only uh, dispensing judgment upon the nations, including Israel and Judah, but uh, also upon um, the empires that God will use as His instruments of judgment, and uh, but also in uh, the Gospel of Isaiah, especially here in this section of the servant we see that um, he is one who um, is not just a God of judgment, but one ultimately of a God of grace and mercy. And he dispenses this grace and mercy through this one servant. And um, I think there is such a very powerful like gospel promise here in the opening part of it. And it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And he will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice on the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. And, uh, you know, really, kind of, you know, this is kind of a down season for a lot of people, you know, uh, that come into your parish and they realize that, you know, oh my gosh, maybe I spent too much in Christmas, or maybe the depression from Christmas is still lingering as family leaves or the lack of family. And uh, this can be a very heavy and depressing time when a lot of people will check out church for the first time um, who are legitimately interested. And, uh, and the epiphany is, is that God is on their side. The epiphany um, during the season from Isaiah is that God isn't the one who's going to crush you and, uh, and destroy you, but rather he is the God who has come to um, uh, not to bruise um, a smoldering or to put out a smoldering wick and uh, not to crush the bruised reads, but to lift them up with his grace and his mercy. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Woody Allen, in one of his films, ends with one of the characters saying that, uh, I don't hate God. I think the worst thing that can be said about God is that God is an underachiever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Bart Ehrman ended a book he wrote um, a couple years ago about about his own doubts about God and, and how that's affected his life as a New Testament scholar. He said, this is the problem with the way God deals with human suffering. He, he just doesn't seem to meet our expectations. And there's a sense in which that might be true. And yet it's true in a deeper way, I think, than Ehrman means it. And that the way God uh, doesn't meet our expectations is in becoming the baptized God, which we'll see in our gospel reading. Absolutely. But, you know, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think if you're expecting God to uh, fix all your problems and make all your dreams come true, well, that's uh, the God of Oprah Winfrey. That's not the God of the New Testament. Um, but uh, this God unexpectedly comes and meets and saves sinners. That's who he wants to deal with.
see this happening, and this is the epiphany that's occurring in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 43. Yeah, in Acts chapter 10, we have Peter who's visiting Cornelius, who's an officer of the occupying Roman army, and already a believer, it seems, in the God of Israel. And Peter breaks Jewish law at God's insistence by visiting him in his domicile, this Gentile. Mm. Yeah, and uh, and he comes in, and so and he's just had this amazing vision and uh, this encounter with Peter, I mean with Cornelius, and uh, and what does he do? But he comes in and he he preaches a sermon, and uh, and this is and he speaks to the Judaizers, the Judaizers that are there that are like, well, wait, don't now they all have to obey the law and come back underneath the law, including Cornelius and everybody. And uh, Peter begins this sermon, and this is the revelation, this is the epiphany, is that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. And, and really what we see here is that it doesn't matter your congregation, it doesn't matter um, you know, who's there. The message always stays the same. And this is one of the things that we learn from It is the here. same old song, so to speak. It is the same old song, literally, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And that same old song is that the message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we're witnesses to all this. This isn't some sort of made-up fantasy. This is real stuff that people actually saw, and God hung him on a tree but raised him on the third day. And this is a, a very powerful thing, and he didn't come back as an orb, but he came back as a real person. Um, who ate and drank with people. And all the prophets, this is what Isaiah is testifying to, here's the one who's not going to crush that bruised reed or smolder out that wick. And he's for the whole world in the forgiveness of sins in his name. And this is what God has come to do, not meet all of your expectations, but to forgive your sins deeply. And uh, that message, it can have different words to it, and it can have different illustrations, but that message, that is the epiphany of the Christian faith. And Light. Yeah, it's really interesting. Paul Zoll says in Grace and Practice and some other places, I think, that you know, that Paul taught what Jesus did, that Paul's understanding a lot of times people try to in the world of New Testament scholarship try to divorce Jesus and Paul. And really, you know, you see this nice connection here. When Peter starts the preaching of the gospel here, not at the cross, but at the baptism of Jesus. Which, which is you know a foreshadowing of of the crucifixion in some sense and resurrection. De- and we're united with him in our baptism in his death and his rising for us. And so, and he says, you know, he after that that baptism, he went about in the power of the Spirit and doing good and healing those who were oppressed. For God was with him. And then he does get to the cross. I mean, I, that's the interesting thing. The whole teaching of God's radical grace is reflection on the story of Jesus, the one who was the bomb of Gilead embodied for sinners. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the theologian Carl Hall. Um, he I had, have, indeed. Yeah, of course you have, Scott. If anybody has, you have. But uh, he has um, a great little book, a great little binder called um, The Distinctive Elements in Christianity. 
And he uh, talks about this idea of Christianity in the midst of the other Oriental religions, and I guess in his day, and the same is true today. Everybody basically was trying to um, come up with a universal concept, and one of the things they were lumping Christianity with was this idea of uh, kind of the religions of redemption. And, uh, and Karl Hall says that is not what like made Christianity stick out, that it just was like a great religion amongst others, um, but that it has a very unique... Um, aspect to it. And I'm going to give you a quote from uh, the distinctive elements in Christianity. And this is really the epiphany. He says this, if therefore we treat Christianity under the common name of redemption religion, we must add that in it a conception of salvation of quite a distinctive sort emerges. In all other doctrines of salvation, the belief in liberation is found on the conviction of the in ineradicable nobility of mankind, or on a metaphysical likeness of the soul with God. The God-like in man must come into its own. Jesus, however, instead of this, sees a deep gulf between God and man. According to him, salvation consists in this, that God of his free grace comes down to meet man. It is the highest degree of deception that that uh, the infinite worth of the human soul is stressed as a fundamental doctrine of Christianity. For this immediately obscures the distinctive significance of Jesus' preaching and life. With Jesus, stress is laid rather on the fact that man has forfeited his worth, but that, that nevertheless God accepts him and comes after him. This conception of a God who offers himself to the sinner is so familiar to present-day Christendom that it is hardly realized how revolutionary, after all, is such a doctrine. What a contradiction it implies to all religious conceptions recognized everywhere. And this is the epiphany, that uh, God comes to us in every way. When my time comes around, lay me gently in the cold dark And uh, that is why Peter speaks of his baptism, and we move into this uh, this uh, teaching of his baptism found in Matthew chapter 3. And it's an interesting note that the baptism of Jesus, like the cross and resurrection, are found in all four Gospels, because the Gospel authors want to get across to you how significant this is. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of all righteousness. Yeah, and and this is it's very interesting, right? This is something that probably was shocking. Obviously, in the text we see it's shocking for John the Baptist. That why why is John baptizing him? You know that that we have this sort of again reversal of expectations. It's very powerful, absolutely, and uh, you know, and it's important to note for the preacher too, you know, because oftentimes people will ask the question. Well, why uh, does Jesus have to get baptized? Or you'll have, um, you know, and it's because it's the fulfilling of all righteousness. But we need to make the proper distinction between John's baptism and a Christian baptism. This is a baptism of repentance. This isn't the same as the baptism that occurs when you're baptized in the Christian faith. That comes with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yeah, it's very interesting, too, because 
the only person that can truly be repentant, C.S. Lewis says, is the person that doesn't need to repent, <laughs> right? If, if repentance is truly a turning around, a, reori- a reorientation, an undividedness in your being, then Jesus is the only one that really could be repentant, and yet he's the one that has no cause to repent. And so you see the vicarious nature of this for us. I, you know, I'm thinking also of this, you know, as people are preaching this, the... um Shawshank Redemption, and the the end of that film, which if you haven't seen it, everybody listening, go see it. Run, don't walk to Netflix or wherever to find it. But Andy Dufresne, who's been in prison for like 20 years, uh, he's sentenced to, sentenced to life for a murder of his wife he didn't commit. But at the end, he realizes that his distance and dismissal of her and inattention to her set up the situations which did cause her murder. So he does, He although he's not guilty of the murder, he sees himself as implicated in it. And only then does his escape come. And he literally crawls through excrement, <laughs> through the prison sewer system to escape. And the climactic scene is when he comes out of the sewer pipe and yeah. there's a thunderstorm and he's in this pool and he is literally uh, washed clean and he rips off this this disgustingly, you know, sewer-soaked T-shirt to re- to let the rain and the light mm. come upon him, uh, body and soul. That's powerful. This is one of the these beautiful illustrations, too, of what, you know, uh, the great Christian teaching, the first shall become last and the last shall become first, and uh, the least become greatest and the greatest become least. And here we see Jesus I mean, really, in the definition of condescension and humility, and John the Baptist definitely recognizes this, but he is becoming the last so that in him we might all ultimately become first. He is becoming the least so that in him we all might become the greatest. He is being washed, literally, the first step in being washed in our sin so that uh, we might be washed ultimately in his righteousness. And... um and this is something to never forget. This is the beginning. This is the, this is the real start of the gospel and moves us forward, especially in Matthew's gospel, to the cross. And so, and with this powerful, powerful interaction. And it really teaches us something, too, about this whole idea about, uh, you know, uh, God loving the sinner but hating the sin. And um, and that just kind of that, how, how cliche that actually is, and uh, especially when you realize the depth and the profundity of the gospel. And that actually, you know, you are, um, you know, in this age, uh, everybody sees your Adam, but Christ is there, imputed to you. But God, he sees Christ, and in God's eyes, your Adam is hidden. And... Um, and it really goes back to what Carl Hall was saying. You know, it's not about the infinite worth of man, but uh, but uh, the great lengths that God will go to save humankind. Yeah, I was thinking of just her pre- preachers who are because who are thinking about how to preach this text. You know, there's that scene in the Elephant Man. You know, you have this guy who's incredibly disfigured, and in one scene, there are these d- decent British folks who are trying to sort of social help him like socialize and help him be socialized, and they're sipping tea and this incredibly disfigured guy says you know as they're sipping tea together with these you know high society british people he says you know if only my mother could see me with such wonderful friends maybe she'd love me 
I was such a disappointment to her. And how many of us are thinking that if only this, if only someone could see me, or if only I attained this, or if only I got that job, or if only this marriage hadn't failed, or if only this opportunity would have worked out, then I would I would hear that, you know, I'm that I'm not a disappointment. But where we hear it is in the baptism of Jesus. Mm. We hear it in and through our union with Christ as a result of God's grace that at our worst moments we can be assured that God's word about us, for us, over us, never changes. That in, in, with, through, and by him, we too are beloved children with whom God is well pleased. That's right. That's right. And that ultimately is the epiphany. And that's what we remember, celebrate, and proclaim uh, during this liturgical season. That indeed, because of Christ and his faithfulness for you, you too are God's beloved child. And because of Christ, in him, he is well pleased. And we will see you all next week. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. To find out more about Mockingbird, head on over to our website, mbird.com. And if you've got thoughts or feedback, insights you'd like to share, this is a new endeavor, so we'd love to hear them. You send me an email at scottjones at mbird.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.